in right on. We're in this series called Legacy. We as a church have been doing this now, um, I think about six years or five, five years for sure. I can't remember, honestly, in our first year if we did one or not. But we've been devoted to this legacy offering concept where we just believe if as Christ followers, God calls us to live a life of faith, where we're stretched, where God's asking us to take faith-filled steps, how much should the church, as the church, we're also called into steps of faith. How many know what I'm talking about? And so it's good to have a budget in the way that God leads us, but we also put ourselves in position for, for God to do a miracle, where we stretch our faith and we come together. Now, he does that all throughout the year, throughout the church, but this is our one time where we say, okay, God, we're believing uh, in this miracle offering for you to stretch us and, and, and lead us in ways of faith. And so God always does amazing things through this miracle offering. And so the way that it works is we're going to talk about it this month. We'll talk specifically about legacy and outliving our life and what generosity looks like and, and reaching outside of our, our these four walls of this church. We'll talk about that this month. But then, uh, so actually today I'll preach a sermon a little bit on generosity. Next week is going to be really, really fun because we're going to kind of go through sort of the history of the church. We're going to basically get out the family photo book and we're going to look at all the ways that God's been faithful to us and some of the stories that he's done through miracles uh, of, the, of the miracle offering. And um, so we're going to do that. But then at the same time, if I was you sitting here considering uh, giving a significant gift to a miracle offering, uh, I would be wondering, like, what are the structures? Like, how does this work in this church? And so I'm actually going to practically talk to you about how we handle money and why we believe uh, for the, the miracle offering to be positioned this way. So we'll share some of the practical things with you next week as well. But don't miss it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be encouraging. Anytime you can look back and talk about God's faithfulness, that's an inspiring Sunday. Amen. And so we're going to do that together next week. But then when we close up this series uh, this month, you'll still be able to give to the miracle offering all the way to the end of the year. We realize that year-end giving uh, is a big deal and many businesses participate uh, in that and your charitable uh, donations for the specific year. We get that that all matters. So we'll, we'll be giving all the way to the end of the year, but we'll be concluding the series this month. And then December, we're kicking off a Christmas series, which I'm really excited about, called Joy to the World, because I believe it's harder, seems to be harder than ever to keep your joy, <laughs> to, to, to not get frustrated, to not get annoyed, to not get uh, just really wound up with all that's going on. But you know, the scripture says that it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Yeah. It's not our knowledge. It's not who we know. It's not, a, it's saying that joy that you have to fight for and content. Are you with me? Yeah. How many <laughs> had to fight for joy ever like oh like I mean like fight for it contend like 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 the only way I'm going to find strength is if I find this joy so I got to fight for some joy how many with me and enjoy anyway I won't preach the series but joy to the world is going to be our Christmas thing we're going to have fun because I believe you can have joy despite your circumstances amen and um and so it's big are you with me so Joy to the World is going to be awesome, and uh, I wrote a bunch of Christmas music I'm going to sing, and it's going to be so special. And, um, <laughs> now you are going to come. I should, I should come up with a song. Yeah, Maddie and I will not do that. <laughs> Doug's going to do the church clap for us someday, I heard, though. There's rumors out there of something. Uh, only children's ministry people know what that is. The rest of you are like, the what? What did he get? Some of you missed that, too, but that's fine. The real saved ones missed that whole thing. 
Uh, all right, so here's what we're going to do. Let's jump into this. Matthew 28, a couple weeks ago, I do want to recap. I only have two points to a sermon, but I do have, I do have the recap here. And uh, the recap is from the first sermon of this series where we kind of laid out the why uh, about why uh, we believe God has called us into what we're about to step into as a church. So it, I want to take just a couple minutes and hit the recap on this and where we find uh, sort of the the push for this year's legacy offering. We find it from Matthew chapter 28, and uh, this is where you find the Great Commission. So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is speaking. He gives us the Great Commission. But before that, a lot of things happen. There's, of course, creation. There's the fall of man. There's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So there's all these major pieces in the gospel story that lead us to Matthew chapter 28. It's not like Jesus was just in town like, hey, I'm going to give a couple thoughts. Like, he didn't just give a nice speech here. This was like transforming this set trajectory for anyone that heard it yeah. it wasn't like oh he's a nice guy that was kind of a cute thing like no 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 no. this was all of it this was like the the bow but drawn back it was the arrow and then it was like the release of what we do going forward from here are you with me so Matthew chapter 28 that's where we pick up everybody gather around him is going to be like now what Jesus like what are we and he gives it to us here in Matthew 28 and it still matters for us today so Matthew 28 verse 18 uh, says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So there's no questioning that, I guess is what I want us to walk away with from this. Jesus is going like, look, uh, how do I have the grounds to say and set the tra tra trajectory? Uh, how, am I, how do I have the right to be able to do this? Well, here's how. I have all authority, not just here on earth, but in heaven has been given me to equip what I'm about to say. That should like super reassure us that what he's telling us to do is possible. Because right. if somebody's been given all authority in heaven on earth and then he says, you can go do this, we can probably go do it. Yeah. Are you with me? So I love that he says it's all been given to me. And then he says, therefore, so the therefore, all of this has been given to me. Everything that's happened up to this point is for what? So that therefore we can go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, because obedience is key, amen. He said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. So he says, all authority, all everything you need has been given to me. I'm giving you this instruction, and also I'm never going to leave you in this mission. I'm always with you. Literally, his name. Angel shows up to Joseph, says, this is what you should name him, Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. So all authority has been given to him. He commissions us, and then he never leaves our side, meaning we're totally able to do this. How many are with me? And what has he called us to do? He's called us to go reach people, the same mission Jesus was sent here to do, seek and save the lost, get them to heaven, to empty hell, and to fill heaven is our mission. Are you with me? The Great Commission. And so for us, the mission is the same as the Great Commission. It's the mission that Jesus gave us. It's what? Go out and live in a way that we reach people, that we seek and save the lost. That's the mission of the church. If you read Romans chapter 9 and you read the whole thing, you can boil that down to this, where the scripture would basically summarize it as this. Nothing glorifies God more than when somebody gets saved. Nothing brings more glory. Book studies are great and Bible studies and classes and worship nights and all of the things that we do at church. All of those things are kind of amazing. They're very amazing, right? It's all a good deal. But none of it is better than when somebody is sought and saved. Are you with me? Yeah. 
when we go out and we reach people and we, and we shine the light into darkness and we see lives transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing is better than that. So we love church conference. We love worship nights. We love studies. We love all of those things. But those are not the end all. What we're called to do is use those things to build us up to go out and reach people. Seek and save the lost. Find those who are far from God and bring them into his light. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, we talked about, again, just in recap, it gives us this analogy, this, this, this understanding that we're running a race. And Jess just completed a bunch of races down at Disney World for her birthday. She turned 44 and finished these races, and we're proud of her. And uh, I, I, you guys are laughing, and that's, that's okay. But here's, here's the difference between Jess and I. She's trained for these races. She did an amazing job. But there's this day on her watch where uh, she ran this race and did this whole thing and did, did all the parks and all this stuff. And, um, and uh, I'm looking at her watch, and there was a day where literally she did 24 miles, like in a day, like 24 miles in a day, which I don't even know what the steps were on that. I think they're still adding it up. But like, just so you know, like <laughs> most of us average people are like three or four miles a day, just kind of general walking And in her, her crazy people did like 24 miles. And I had this realization about how different we are because she had got home and a couple of days later, um, I had my phone and I put into my Google maps, uh, the cheesecake factory, and it was 24 miles away. <laughs> And, and I went there. She could have ran there, and I drove there because we just do life very different. <laughs> and, uh, and so here's what I learned, though, through Jess's running the things. And you've heard me say this, but this is just recap. But uh, her training, there's two kinds of training that happen. She has a treadmill. And she has a controlled environment situation that she trains in. And so she's on the treadmill and she's setting her pace and she's doing her running and she's watching Friends and all those things on TV. And um, Anybody in here watch Friends? Do you guys know they have a new show out there? Not as good. <laughs> you guys, literally. Like, it's, it's like, you know that little baby meme? Like where the baby comes in and goes like, oh, and turns back around? That's like my every night. Like, wonder what Jess is up to. Oh, Friends is on. I'm back out. <laughs> I see Grey's is on. I'm out of here. And uh, like, you know, hey, there's other things you can watch. And then I go down and watch another football game. <laughs> so anyway. So training, she's treadmill, and she's doing all this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I realized, you guys heard me say this, all of a sudden, she, she's like, I got to run outside, and I got to get this gear, snow gear, and I got to run in the heat, and I got to go do all this kind of stuff. Why? Because those controlled environment conditions are not the real thing. It's not a real environment. It's not out in the world. Are you with me? And that's what church becomes in America. We love very controlled church environments where worship is here and our brothers and sisters are here and we're connecting with one another. We're doing studies together. All of those things are amazing, right? But it is not go ye into the world and reach and connect with the hurting. It's not coming down alongside the lost and saying, we're here, we're not leaving. God believes in you, right? This is a very controlled environment, and it's good, and it's amazing, and God moves powerfully through all of this. We love this. Obviously, I've given my life to this. But if this is all it ever is, then we're not running our race. We're only doing training together. The race is for us to be out there running and reaching. And Are you with me? So that's why we believe as a church that God has called us to live out this great commission. Uh, there's one writer, I forget who says it, but it says it's so important for us as believers to not make the Great Commission a great omission and leave it out, omit it from what we do in our lives. And I think that becomes the thing. We get real good at study. We get real good at worship. We get real good at fellowship. But it gets real hard when we start talking about going out and reaching people and discipling nations, doesn't it? Yeah. 
because it gets, it gets exhausting and it gets real and it gets messy. But we will be a church who doesn't omit the Great Commission. It's not going to be our great omission. We are going to go out and reach people. Are you with me? So that's why we launched. We're going to be launching for this legacy offering, our bus ministry. Go ahead and throw it up there, guys. If you haven't seen it yet, we're going to be putting together this thing here. Yeah, come on. And, um, and we're going to be reaching people. We're going to be going out of here and reaching and connecting with people who, who need to come to God's light and, and seek and, and save the lost, Right. We want to eliminate excuses, like where people can say, oh, I just don't. Why? Because we want to go out and reach the least of these. Amen. And so that's the goal. And we're believing uh, that God can do it. And it's going to take all of us, again, just coming together and sacrificing and saying, okay, God, what are you calling me to? And how am I called to participate in this miracle offering? And then we just need to be obedient in that. Amen. Um, I got two points for you. Get out your Bibles and your notepads if you haven't already. And then write these two points down. Uh, My first point is this obedience always comes with an attachment. Um, some of you might say, what, what does an attachment mean? You ever get an email and it has an attachment, right? And you open up that attachment because it's what? It's something extra for you, isn't it? So you open up that email and you say, oh, there's an attachment on here. There's more to this than just the email. That's how obedience works with God. Anytime God calls us to a, something, commissions us to something, when we're obedient to it, that obedience comes with an attachment. There's things attached to that. My mom, uh, I grew up most of my life uh, in, in, in ministry, and my mom was in children's ministry, and she taught this lesson time and time and time again to kids and teenagers in this room. You need to get this. Uh, you need to remember this. This will help you in life. It's this. You win or you lose by the way that you choose. Every single time in life, we win or we lose by the way that we choose. You make the right choice, it's going to turn out good for you. You make the wrong choice. We say, well, pastor, I don't like that. God's grace. Hey, I'm not the one who said the wages of sin is death, right? We love to soften all that up so much and butter it in grace. But there's truth to our decisions. Obedience comes with attachments. And I also believe, and it's my second point we'll get to in a minute, but I believe that disobedience comes with an attachment. You win or you lose by the way that you choose. And so for us in our life, if we want to talk about our legacy and outliving our life, is God going to wave a wand over us and make us all of a sudden the most smart, like supernatural Christian that's ever walked? No, we're going to get there by our choosing to be obedient and trusting him wholly, right? There's no secret sauce that God all of a sudden, it's by these acts of obedience when we trust God that opens doors in our life. It, it unlocks these attachments. Amen. So we win or lose by the way that we choose. So we're going to talk for just a second about obedience always comes with an attachment. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this. So if, because it's possible that you don't. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving to you today. So if, and obedience. So if you faithfully obey the commands that I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Not just trying, not just dabbling, saying you got to love him with everything, trust him with everything. Not when it feels good, not when it lines up right, not when you're in a good mood, not when life is going. No, always serving and loving him wholly with all your soul. Then it says this, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. Sounds like a good night at Johnny Carino's, right? We got some grains going. We got some, got some, some wine, not us good Christians, but and then that oil. We got some good stuff going. 
And then it says, I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Now, look, I realize we aren't dealing in cattle and grass and rain. That's not our major concern, but it is for them at this time. And so for us and in your life, you insert whatever matters to you in your life, your businesses, your families, whatever it is. He's attaching the attachment in our obedience is, is, is to the function of your life your career, your family, you're raising your kids, whatever it is, saying, look, if you love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, you're obedient, you follow his commands, all of these needs will be met. The fruit of the obedience is that God will take care of you. But then in verse 16 here, it says this, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Gives us a warning here that it's possible to have an understanding that God wants to take care of us through his commands, through being obedient to him. But it's also possible for us to turn from that and start worshiping another way. Obviously, for us, we're not walking past golden idols on a daily basis. Right? Ooh, should we? You want to stop and worship that for a minute? No, but we can drive past that neighborhood that we want to try to live in. We can drive past that new car that we want to try to get. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. And I'm not against any of those things. But it's the scripture that says, be careful that you might be enticed to turn away and begin to worship something else. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. I looked up the word enticed here. You could say it like this. It's be careful that you're not attracted to something else that then you start to worship. It's a warning of being attracted to. Another word for enticed here is to be tempted by. Be careful because it's possible that you'll start worshiping because you've gotten tempted by something else other than loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Be careful. I love this one. This is where a real temptation comes in. It says this. It says, be careful. The word enticed here is be careful that you don't fall into lure of the advantage of worshiping something else. Oh, if we just gave all of our time to this, the advantage of this over here. If I just begin to worship that, I would be at such an advantage. Are you with me? That's a temptation that we probably fall into. You know, we could just let that go a little bit. We could let that priority fall a little bit. If we did a little bit of less of that, think of the advantage we'd have over here if we did this instead. Those are the traps that we fall into. And God is saying, stay holy in love and surrendered and submitted and following and obeying my ways. Are you with me? Because obedience always comes with an attachment. And I've seen in my life that those attachments of obedience, when you open those, they become things like peace. We walk in obedience and all of a sudden it releases peace. It it releases provision. It it releases what you need. Some of you have vision for things in your life. The word provision is for the vision. God gives us things in our lives pro for the vision. And, and we got to walk in obedience so that God can open that door of provision for the vision in our life. Amen. It opens favor. It opens wisdom. These attachments are things like healing for our body and rest. I believe God gives us territory. How do we get all those things? The magic wand? No, it's through obedience and the attachments that God then puts on our life. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All the attachment. If you let me, right? If you let me, and so you guys are, well, you're, you're doing a, you're doing a, if like God's a genie, if you do this, God will do this for you. There is truths to sowing and reaping friends. And I'm not afraid to say that. I know the prosperity message has hurt a lot of people and messed up a lot of things. And I'm in your camp about saying that stuff needs to stop. 
but I'm also over here saying that God is for you. Amen. And if you sow, you will reap. And we want to sow in obedience because it opens things for us. Peace, provision, favor, wisdom, healing, rest, territory. You've all experienced supernatural circumstances that I believe come from us saying yes to God and the things he's called us to. Amen. And so when I think about legacy, yes, we're talking about let's be obedient to what God has called us to in sacrifices and reaching people. But it's so much more than that. What are the obedient things that you need to say yes to in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplaces, in relationships where you say, I'm going to walk in an obedience over here so that the attachments of all these other things unfold in my marriage and parent. Are you with me? Yeah. It's so much more than just the legacy message, but it also applies here. Second Corinthians uh, chapter nine, verse 10 says this, for God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. This is what Pastor Tommy talked about last week. He said, God gives seed to the hoarder. No, God gives seed to the one who keeps it. No, God gives seed to the sower. God's going to give it to you when he knows that you're going to sow it into somebody else's life, right? God gives seed to the sower. He gives bread to the one that eats. It says this, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. It's good news. He's going to provide and increase your resources. Why are you going to do that? And then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You guys remember back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis when God says to Abraham, like, hey, I'm going to bless you so that what? You can be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to give you the seed so you can sow it. I'm going to give you the resources so that you can become a harvest field of generosity to others. I want to bless you in such a way that then you get to be the blesser. You get to be the one who goes. That's why the scripture says it's better to be the people who give than receive. It's just better when we, again, Pastor Tommy preached that open-handed generosity type lifestyle is the way God has called us to. So it says he's going to produce in us a great harvest of generosity. Then this is where it really breaks it down. And this is what I believe the world is missing from the church. It says this in verse 11. It says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. It doesn't say they'll thank the program. They'll thank the church. When our generosity goes out outside of these four walls, when it hits the streets of our community, it causes genuine, genuine thanksgiving to God. Not the church, not the pastor, not the program. When our God-filled generosity hits the streets, there's no choice but then for people to say, thank you, God. Verse 12, so two things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem or the needs of the believers in Zealand, Holland will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. He said it two times. The writer said it two times because he wants us to get it, that when we are generous people, when we're people who are obedient in our generosity and that hits the streets, it causes people to only look one way, and that's toward God. Not the pastor, not the legacy offering, not the church building. It causes people to say, man, that God thing must be true because he blessed them and they blessed me. That's got to be real. Two times he says it. Verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Not by your bumper sticker, not by what you share on Facebook, not because you didn't miss X amount of Sundays in a row. No, it's because we had a heart to help people outside the four walls of this church. Are you with me? It's the obedience in our generosity that is a huge, huge deal. God test us in this. I believe it. 
He's always looking to see. It's called stewardship. I can't get into the whole parable, but God gives all the parable that, you know, the parable of the talents. He gives them and he goes, he pays attention to what we do with what we've been given. Uh, I thought about this. This week, I did something really dangerous. I know most of you don't think I'm a very dangerous person, but I am. And, uh, and so this week, I did a very stupid, very dangerous thing. I'm, I'm lucky to be here today. I took the car seats out of our car this week. How many of you have young kids? That is very dangerous, life in your hands. When you start to unbuckle those things and the things that begin to fall out from underneath those, the third world diseases that live underneath a car seat, so I'm, I'm moving these things. And then you get to start to play this game. You're looking at stuff. You take stuff. You're like, what was this? Was this a chicken nugget? Or did chipmunks give birth and die in here? What, what is this in my car? And then the smells come and just things. And you, then you just start to wonder if your kids are thieves. Because you're like, we never bought you any of this. Like, how do you have this in here? And, uh, and so you're moving all of this stuff. And then I noticed my daughter... Our oldest is six, and I know I found her stash. She seems to be like a, apparently a hoarder. Well, I know she's a hoarder, but apparently a hoarder of like food in the car, which doesn't surprise me because often I could hear in behind me. I'm beginning to remember these conversations of, "Can I have some from the little brother or little sister? Can I have some? No, it's mine. You can't have any." But then I found the stash of the things that were unwilling to be given away like hoarded in and there's like a little pocket inside the thing. And sure enough, there was all of the things that at one point in her life, she said, I needed to keep, I can't give it away. I have to have this for me. And it eventually turned to spoil. Isn't it funny how we do the same thing though? I can't give this. I need to keep this. This is mine. This is for me. And then a year or two later, you look back on your life and it probably went to spoil probably went to an out to eat. It probably went to a over expense. It probably went to, you understand what I'm saying? Often we're tested in when we say, Hey, this is for me. I have to have this. I can't give this. God is watching how we steward with what we've been given. Amen. Because anything that we hoard spoils, doesn't it? Anything we hoard spoils. And so that's sure enough what happened in those seats. And so I got those out of my truck and I brought those in the house and I said, Jess, you have three car seats downstairs to clean. <laughs> what, dudes, you didn't do that either? I, I would love to clean those, but my wife loves to clean. Was that true? Yeah. And do I ever clean anything properly? <laughs> so that's why I didn't clean them, my friends. Anybody of you, any guys out there got wives like that? Can't clean it right? I'm starting a group. Second Tuesday of every... So, no, well, none of you. Okay, all right, that's fine. So what we hold on to, Gen- or, uh, Exodus teaches us this. I know many of you are actually close with this, Maddie. Uh, my Exodus teaches us us. If you're a good church person, grew up in church, and, and you're going to know this story. But how many know the children of Israel? They're in the wilderness. Moses is leading them, and they're required to trust him for food to eat. And how many know heaven says, God says, hey, I'm going to provide for you supernaturally. I'm going to, the scripture said, rain manna down. So their food literally rained down to them every day. Moses, God to Moses, hey, I'm going to rain this food down to you. But 
you try to keep it, if you try to hoard it, it will go to spoil. You can read Genesis chapter 16 says, not only did it go to spoil, literally to the point that it began to stink. It wasn't like it just didn't taste good anymore. It literally became ruined. And one thing uh, that the scripture says when you begin to read it, it says that God literally says, I'm going to test my people here. Tell them to go out, collect what they need. And if they keep it for themselves, they'll fail the test because it's going to be ruined. Another way that he tested them in this is he said on the sixth day, because God was always testing us and he still tests us today. Are you going to trust me? What about today? Are you going to trust me today? Are you going to trust me today? Are you going to obey me today? Are you, are you with me? Always Oh, and we don't like that message. Oh, God's going to test you. Listen, God's not going to put sickness on you. Are you with me? He's, you know, he's not that kind of God, but he's definitely paying attention to the way that we steward our lives according to his principles, right? Okay. So what are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? What are you going to do? On the sixth day, he said, listen, the seventh day is coming, which is Sabbath. So on the sixth day, you can collect double But on the seventh day, don't you go look for manna. Don't you go out. It's the Sabbath. Don't you go out and start looking for it. That's the day, not for you to get ahead and try to get more hustle and try to da-da-da-da. No, that seventh day is my day. So on the sixth day, you can collect double. And sure enough, what did a bunch of them do? They go out on the seventh day, they disobey God, and they spend all this effort and energy trying to go collect. And guess what they came up with? Nothing. Nothing. Because anytime we disobey, the attachments of disobedience boils down to nothing in our life. Oh, but if I just do it this way and my way and disobedience, boils down to nothing. Obedience is always the better way. Can I get an amen? The attachments of obedience is so much better. Disobedience comes with an attachment. We saw it with Adam and Eve. They made a disobedient choice and they felt separation from God immediately. Oh my gosh, we have separation. I'm not saying God separates himself from us in our sin in the sense of you can never come to him. No, he'll never leave you or forsake you. We can always come because of the cross. But when we have sin active in our lives, it does things to us because of our guilt and our shame. We separate ourselves from God because the attachments of disobedience is not good. It becomes the opposite of what I just preached. It becomes closed doors in our life because of disobedience. It becomes confusion. God, I thought I was, what's happening? What's going on? Have you ever known somebody that they were doing so good and they were so walking with God and all of a sudden sin came into their life and now their season is just a mess and it's full of confusion and disorder? Well, what happened? The attachments of sin and disobedience caused ruin, right? Lack and fatigue and all of destruction comes in. Why? With the attachments of sin. That's why God is saying, fully obey. You can't obey the things you want to that feel good to you and then sin over here and compromise over here. Are you with me? Because we're building all kinds of churches on the, just work it out, right? Fully obey and trust and serve God with all your heart and all your soul. Now, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But we we aren't holding our sins, amen. In 1943, uh, the U.S. Navy needed uh, some springs made for some ships that they were working on uh, for World War II. They were in the Battle of the Atlantic uh, in the oceans around Europe, and uh, they were trying to work on this spring. So there's this guy by the name Richard James, and he's working on this spring, and it falls off of the table, his work table. And as it falls off the table, it hits the set of stairs, and it begins to walk its way down the steps. And so this guy looks at this thing, and 
He says, wow, that was pretty amazing how that spring fell off the table and then walked its way all the way down the steps. We should make that a toy. And it's now called the Slinky. Right. What's amazing about that is in 1945, he decided to, again, fully make it a toy. Now, he's a smart man, and so he said, I need somebody smarter than me to make this sound really smart. And so he asked his wife, will you please, because you're smarter than me, go to the dictionary. And she looked up uh, a a word that means graceful and spring-moving, and uh, she found the word slinky literally out of the dictionary. So they named it. They got a $500 loan. They started James Industries. Gimbals of Philadelphia stocked 400 of these slinkies, sold at $1 a piece, and in 90 minutes, they sold them out, almost fully funded his loan in its first 90 minutes. But on the box, when it first came out, and in its promotions, it had this label. It said, steps are required for advancement. Steps are required for it to advance. And I thought about in our lives, what we do with disobedience is we say, oh God, I know you called me to that. I know you want me to do that thing, but can I just take that step out and that step out? And wouldn't it be easier if I just didn't have these steps? And what happens when you eliminate the steps, you stop. You come to a halt, don't you? When we say, God, I don't want to obey you that way. I don't want to do it that way. Because what? Steps are required for advancement. That's just even how the kingdom of God works. God calls us from glory to glory, faith to faith, to the next act of obedience. And we, as Christians, we want to make it easy. Your best life now. We want to make us take all the steps out. But what we do is we hinder growth, don't we? Amen. So for us, the legacy offering and, and, and the whole idea of all of this is we want to be a people who aren't trying to get rid of the steps. We're saying, God, what's the next step? How I many of the scripture says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord? He has a next step for us. And we got to say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do? What's my, my part in all of this? Not just the legacy offering, but just in life. God, what is my next step? What's the next thing you have for me? Because I realize If I don't take steps, I stop. And the scripture says, God wants you either hot or cold, but the middle, the no movement thing, he can't work with that. Amen. And so I'm just going to ask you to pray. Again, I I said this to you the last couple of weeks, but your involvement with legacy. Listen, every pastor gets up and says, do your best. Bring your best gift to the house. And I'm not asking you to bring your best. I don't want you to bring your best. I want you to pray and I want you to bring your obedience. Whatever God tells you to do, do that. It's not a rally for your best. It's not a rally to, to meet a goal. Notice we haven't even given updates or we don't have like the thermometer thing. Right? Like we, we, because it's just about obedience. It's about our intimate relationship with God where God says, this is the way I want to use you. And we say yes to that. And God always does it. Amen. So for us, it's obedience. But we're keeping in our heart. It will not be a great omission. We're going to say yes to the great commission, which is go and reach people and be a part of that. Amen. And then we read this scripture every time we talk about our miracle offering. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of us should give what we have decided in our heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why do I read that? I'm reading that because, listen, I don't want you to give anything because the picture inspires you or because your church is doing it or because it's what we always do. Only give when God's called you to give, and then you can give cheerfully. Amen.